Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. Sports Radio FNZ back during the lunch hour. Told you before the break, there could be some movement in the, well, movement to <laughs> reinstate the Big Ten college football season. Nothing uh, concrete as of yet, but Jeff Snook, an Ohio State insider up in Columbus, reporting this morning that the uh, Ohio State brass, the athletics brass, that is, are working on a plan that would uh, allow possibly for Ohio State and five other Big Ten programs to play a 10-game conference schedule. Now, not much more has been, again, reported or released on that front, but it's something else worth watching. You know, Because, again, there is a great will and desire at Ohio State and a few other places across that conference to still play college football. Will they be able to pull it off? And could they do so in the face of resistance from Kevin Warren and the Big Ten Conference? We'll, we'll see. But it's been interesting to see that Sandy Barber, the Penn State Athletics Director, you know, had a, a statement that came out two days ago where she said, I, I can't confirm that there actually was a vote by the Big Ten presidents and chancellors to cancel the season. I mean, you want to talk about chaos and controversy. The Big Ten it, it epitomizes that right now. So you got that happening. Also this morning, uh, Sage Surratt. Wake Forest wide receiver, brother of Chaz Surratt, linebacker at North Carolina, who also apparently may be dabbling in some defensive end work. But Chad, or Sage Surratt, the wide receiver at Wake Forest, the latest to opt out of the 2020 college football season, if in fact there is one. Uh, he will not play for Dave Clawson and the Demon Deacons this fall and will instead prepare himself for the NFL draft. And, and that's not really shocking. Though I do wonder about that, and I do worry about some of these guys who are making that decision. Not that it's the wrong decision for them or their families by any stretch, you know, but, but in reading, for instance, Le'Veon Bell, talking about how last year physically he didn't quite feel right, didn't have the same explosiveness, you know, didn't feel as strong, and now saying that he feels better than ever, he's stronger, he's faster than he's been in a couple of years. It, you know, you can kind of use the analogy where if you work out, right? A lot of us work out alone, but I know for me, if I'm going to be in a weight room all the time, lifting weights, working out regularly, I would prefer to have somebody to lift with. I mean, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Why? Not because you have to have it, but, you know, because she got an accountability buddy and then somebody who makes sure you show up, you make sure they show up. But more than that, you know, you're pushing each other. Uh, your, your buddy benches 305. You want to bench press 315. 
you know, there's that competitive edge that it keeps the fire burning, even if you don't realize it. You know, it's okay to say that, you know, you're just going to sit out a year and train and be ready for the NFL next year, but there's nothing that prepares you for playing football quite like playing football. So it's not that I don't think it can work or these guys are just going to fade into the oblivion, but you do worry about some of those guys doing that. I, I do anyway. Hopefully it works out for him. I mean, both Surratt brothers were just an absolute joy and a pleasure to watch last year. And and Smoke, I know that you have a great deal of familiarity with them. And I saw yesterday that Mac Brown and uh, Jay Bateman and company are thinking, hey, you know, we saw Chaz get after the quarterback so well last year. We thought we might uh, let him dabble at defensive end a little bit. I have seen that as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, way too many times, as has my dad, as law as has rest of Lincoln County, and believe me, they just put him on third and long when he was in high school. Both Chaz and Sage, they put him on both ends, and they would easily get after a quarterback. Now, of course, that's high school football, but it's definitely something that Jay Bateman could dabble in on long distance third downs or something like that if they want to get some pressure on the quarterback. Because we saw Chaz Rat. He doesn't have much problems getting after the quarterback as it is as a linebacker. And then you put him in like a five technique or something of that variety in certain situations. It could be pretty deadly. Yeah, it could be. So we'll see. But Chaz Surratt, he will play this fall, at least as of now. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. But his brother, Sage Surratt, opting out of the 2020 season. All right. I wanted to to bring this back from yesterday because we had a very spirited discussion about Fernando Tatis Jr., and a lot of people chiming in on that discussion. Two nights ago, Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, stud shortstop for the San Diego Padres, was, uh, was, was at the plate, and the Pods had a 10-3 lead over the Texas Rangers in the eighth inning. 3-0 count, bases juiced. Fernando Tatis Jr. gets a 3-0 fastball on the outer half of the plate. He crushes it, grand slam. The lead grows from 7-11. to 11. It's 14-3. The game ends up a 14-4 ball game, I believe. But he's getting crushed by the Rangers manager, Chris Woodward, who was letting him have it, letting him know about his displeasure from the Rangers dugout as Tatis rounded the uh, rounded third base. Rangers players didn't like it. Uh, they immediately come out of the, on the next batter and throw at Manny Machado. On top of the Rangers displeasure, Jace Tingler, the Padres manager, is also upset with Fernando Tatis Jr. because he said he missed a take sign that the third base coach had given him a take sign on 3-0 and that they felt like a seven-run lead was sufficient and that they didn't want to run the score up. Well, on top again of making the Rangers mad, the, the Rangers manager upset, he's now got his own manager on his back. And in the post-game press conference, you know, Jay, Jace Tingler uh, you know, is, is saying, well, he missed the take sign and we just thought the lead was sufficient. But I want to start with this. Mad Do Chris Mad Dog Russo. You know, Mike and the Mad Dog, the, the godfathers of sports talk radio, WFAN in New York. They've long since been broken up. Mad Dog's been on Sirius XM, the MLB Network. He has gone against the grain a little bit because most people, it seems, are supporting Fernando Tatis Jr. Mad Dog Russo, though, has a slightly different take. The manager gives you a take sign. You know what? You obey him and you don't swing. It's as simple as that. Uh, no matter what you think about the game score, no matter what you think about the idea that Tatis hit a grand slam and he's fun to watch and, you know, he's sort of a, uh, you know, an NBA guy playing baseball, you know, a young, enthusiastic, a young kid gets into him. No matter what you think about all that, he got a take sign from this manager. Why have a manager who told him specifically, don't swing? And he swung. <laughs> Chris Mad Dog Russo, who is never, ever, ever short on energy. Now, by the way, two things can be right here. Two things can be true more specifically. All right. 
Uh, you shouldn't be giving Fernando Tatis Jr. a take sign on 3-0. And he also did miss the take sign. And like I said yesterday, the ideal situation here is for Jace Tingler to take his guy in the clubhouse, bring him aside, and say, hey, you missed that take sign. Great swing. Great job. You're now the major league leader in home runs. But, you know, you missed the take sign. Don't do it again. That, that to me, is how you handle it. All right? Instead of throwing your guy under the bus in the postgame press conference, which is more or less what happened. But now, here's Jace Tingler, Padres manager, saying he was wrong. Well, it obviously wasn't the, the, the right call. <laughs> so, you know, he, he took one swing of the bat and, and got four runs up. You know, we, you know we're, we were watching it, you know, from there with um, – we had, we had the bases loaded. I think the, the previous two batters walked on, you know, felt like maybe nine pitches or something like that. Um, you know, we were struggling around around the zone. Um, so, you know, we, we, were, we were kind of thinking, let, let's build, grind this inning. <laughs> Can we stop trying to make baseball boring, please? I mean, I, I wish baseball started with a consonant so I could make something sounding cool like MAGA so we could make baseball great again. Like, can we stop trying to make this sport boring? These aren't little leaguers. These aren't nine-year-olds who need to have their feelings coddled. These are professional baseball players who know if you're not great or you're not on on a nightly basis, not only will you get beaten, there's a good chance you might get exposed and embarrassed. These unwritten rules of baseball, man, are, are truly baffling sometimes. And by the way, I will defend some of them. You know, if a guy comes in unnecessarily hard to try to break up a double play and he gets a guy hurt you know, or he comes in with his spikes high, yeah, hit that guy between the shoulder blades next time. Send him a message. I'm okay with that. But we're like dudes getting their feelings hurt because a guy hits a bomb and then pimps it walking out of the box. Get over yourself. You don't want it to happen. Put it by him. Get him out. You know, a guy hits a home run on a 3-0 count. Get over yourself. You were already getting drilled 10 to 3. 14 to 3 is that much worse. You were already getting your tails whipped. Some of these unwritten rules are profoundly stupid. Profoundly stupid. My buddy Ray Ratto at our sister station, 95.7 The Game, out in San Francisco. A longtime sports writer out there, but now with our sister station. He does some writing for their website, right? He wrote this yesterday about how dumb some of these unwritten rules are. And he gets into it and he writes, quote, Really, if you want to fault Tatis at all, it's for not fully understanding that baseball has secret rules. You're supposed to just know and could have gotten Machado a pitch upside the head. So the solution clearly is to write all of this stuff down. The first one, seven runs is plenty. And you should stop trying because grand slams aren't as much fun as watching two teams agree to capitulate. If the manager says seven runs is enough, well, what does he know? Signs are just suggestions anyway. If a play doesn't go the way you want it to, well, in this case, the execution of a fourth consecutive unhittable pitch, throw at the next guy that comes up because he did nothing except agree to play on the same team as the alleged miscreant and then act like the aggrieved party. You see why these rules are unwritten rules? It's because if you type them out, everyone looks like an idiot. That's from Ray Ratto, 95-7 the game in San Francisco. He's all over it. If this game, a game that I hold dear and that I love so much, is going to elevate itself back to whatever stature it's aspiring to be. And it's still one of the big three sports in America. It's not as if baseball's dying a death. Like, I mean, that, that stuff is, is overstated. But we know football is America's game now. You know, and, and, and baseball has shot itself in the foot repeatedly. Well, it's not always Rob Manfred. It's not always the, the Major League Baseball headquarters making questionable decisions about, you know, blackout restrictions. Sometimes it's about these players and coaches needing to realize that these unwritten rules 
these bastions of the past that you hold on to because you're just expected to, it hurts the game. Because I can guarantee you that everybody sitting at home yesterday or two days ago watching that game outside of Arlington, Texas, would have much preferred to see a grand slam from one of the most exciting young stars in baseball rather than an intentional walk. Some of this stuff is common sense. And these baseball guys do not want to get out of their own way. And it is infuriating. Smoke, what you got? Well, here's something that I don't think has gotten mentioned enough during this whole scenario. People are like, oh, it's a seven-run lead. Oh, it's that. It's this. Uh, do people look at the stats for the Padres bullpen this year? And I don't mistake you if you don't because we haven't really paid attention to the Padres over the last 15 years in this area. But they have the 26th-ranked bullpen ERA this year at 6.08. You don't think that bullpen could give up a seven-run lead? <laughs> I mean, gosh, uh, Braves fans, remember a couple weeks ago against the Mets, they were down four runs. They scored five runs in the eighth inning. Anything could happen. Now, of course, that's the Mets, but still, the Padres are still a very young team, and even though they gave up a lot of stuff, they signed Drew Pomeranz, who I don't trust, even though he's had a couple of good years. They got a couple other guys in the bullpen. I'm, I've read where they've struggled with their bullpen, who's expected to be very good. So if... Well, stop right there. Stop right there, because you're right. You could blow that lead. All right, was it a sizable lead? Sure. Is it unthinkable? Absolutely not. More so than anything, though, about the unwritten rules, you know, and, and this baseball etiquette that's expected. Fine. You don't want to listen to me. You don't want to listen to Trevor Bauer, Will Middlebrooks, you know, a number of other players, you know, from, from this era and the one right before it. If you don't want to li listen to one of the old guys, Johnny Bench, one of the greatest, maybe arguably to some, the greatest catcher in Major League Baseball, but one of them. Johnny Bench weighed in yesterday and said, quote, so you take a pitch. Now it's 3-1. Then the pitcher comes back with a great setup pitch. Boom, it's 3-2. You got a full count. Now you're ready to ground out into a double play. Everyone should hit 3-0. Grand slams are a huge stat. And then he tagged Fernando, Fernando Tatis Jr. in it. So there's one of the old guys from that bygone era where the unwritten rules were apparently the most important thing on earth telling you, nah, this is garbage, guys. Fans want to see grand slams. The goal is to score runs and get hits. And oh, by the way, Fernando Tatis Jr. has a, an incentive-laden contract like just about everybody else. We're hitting a certain number of home runs. Driving in a certain number of runs makes him more money. It, it wasn't a tie ball game in the top of the ninth where he missed a sign from the third base coach. Okay, he drilled a 3-0 pitch over the wall for a grand slam. And that's the kind of stuff that fans love, that kids love, that people just want to see. It's entertainment. Entertain the people. And pull the stick out of your... Never mind, we got to go. We're going to step aside. We'll come back. We'll talk to Brian Jordan. 15 years in Major League Baseball, played in the outfield for the Braves, the Cardinals, and oh, by the way, a safety for the Atlanta Falcons. Two sports star Brian Jordan joins us next here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ. No one has more opinions. No one has more insight into the business. That's why you'll get it all here first. And if you miss it, download the Radio.com app. You can rewind up to 24 hours of the show so you'll never miss a word. It's the Mac Attack. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Shower. Having some fun here in the clubhouse on a Wednesday. Coming up in 40 minutes, the legend himself, Steve Smith Sr., Panthers legend, NFL Network analyst, our boy Smitty, who joins us every Tuesday at 1 o'clock. He's back 
in 42 minutes. But uh, we talked to a guy who knows a thing or two about playing in the NFL. He was a safety for the Atlanta Falcons. He spent 15 years in Major League Baseball roaming the outfields, and he's part of Braves Live on Fox Sports South. And also, as I found out, part of the Gwinnett Braves AAA broadcast, which is pretty darn cool. Brian Jordan is back with us on the Technicom Hotline. Brian, how you been, buddy? I'm good, man. How you guys doing? I'm good. I'm good. I just I'm curious. This is my own personal curiosity. You're working with another carry in the booth for the Gwinnett. Are you? That was the plan anyway. The Gwinnett Braves for at the AAA level. What What's that all about, man? I think that's fascinating. How many carries are there? Oh my goodness, man. Uh, yeah, Tip, uh, who was with Braves uh, on the Braves Live uh, show, and uh, his brother. I worked with Gwinnett. That was years back. Oh, okay. He's, he's yeah, he's working in Texas now. Ah, uh, somebody uh, needs to update a website. Then that was something I read this morning. Yeah, somebody <laughs> needs to update that website. It's been uh, shoot over ten years since I worked with. How about that, Chip's brother? Okay, well that's it. Then it's yeah. it's immaterial to this conversation. But I had no idea there were more <laughs> carry broadcasters in the pipeline. So anyway, hey, I'm just coming off a discussion in the previous segment about uh, the the Fernando Tatis Jr. incident from two days ago. Brian, it seems that like just about everybody but Chris Mad Dog Russo is uh, is getting Fernando Tatis Jr.'s back on this. What do you think? I have his back too. Uh, you know this this kid is a superstar. You know, and you, you're there to play baseball. And uh, you know, at this point, we've seen so many comebacks. You know, teams scoring seven runs, eight run comebacks late in the game. Uh, my thing is, if he missed the sign, you know, everybody does that. But a three zero pitch base is loaded on a kid that has the power that he has. You know, we know today's game is about padding your stats. You know, it's, it's the next payday. And you got these kids with this analytics, you know, swinging for the fences. So, I'm not mad at him. I, you know, it's frustrating to see that the general manager and the manager who worked with Texas uh, beforehand, you know, got mad at him for doing that. And I just, I don't get it. I'm like, if if you're mad at him because you used to work for Texas, that's just not the way to go about things. I mean, go back to Texas. If, you, if, if you're now in San Diego and you're mad at a player for, for dogging out Texas and hitting that a grand slam. So, you know, I'm with Mad Dog. I'm, I, I like what I saw, man. Those guys in the big leagues are swinging the bat. They need to. And look, it, you've you've been around the game at a, at a much different level for a longer time than I have. But you know, I've I've been around this game for a lot of years, and I understand that you know some of these unwritten rules do make some sense, right? If a guy comes in too hard trying to break up a double play and gets somebody hurt, he's going to wear one the next time he comes up. I get all that. You know, but in terms of the player's perspective on the unwritten rules, what do players talk about in the dugout as it pertains to the unwritten rules? For the fans out there that might not understand it. Well, you know, the unwritten rules are, are now done with. When analytics came to the game, the game is getting younger. Uh, to me, there's no more unwritten rules. Because uh, just an example uh, that happened the other day with the Braves, Will Smith comes in the game, he's warming up, and Soto walks almost behind the catcher while he's warming up, trying to look at his pitches. Mm-hmm. And Will Smith stepped off the mound and told him to get out of there. You know, that's an unwritten rule. You know, back in the day, if Roger Clemens see you walking that close to the dugout while he's warming up, he's going to throw at you <laughs> before the inning even starts. So it's kind of frustrating for me because I'm, I'm, that, I'm that player that played in the 80s and 90s where you respect the game of baseball. But today's 
it's off limits. I mean, these kids, uh, they, they hitting home runs and they, they taking their time. They're flipping the bats and there's no more unwritten rules anymore. And it's a shame that it's that way. The respect of the game is gone. So you, you think that they need, be, need to be reinstated. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it does. Okay. It does need to be reinstated. But how do you reinstate it? Because the commission has changed all the rules. If you hit a, if you hit a guy, you're suspended for eight games. In a 60-game season, that's unbelievable. <laughs> that is unbelievable. So now I guess the penalty is, is, is a lot harsher. So, you know, players are scared to do anything, to retaliate. I hear you. Brian Jordan with us on the Technicom hotline. All right, so the Braves get the, the first uh, game of the series against the Nationals two nights ago. They drop one last night, 8-5, to five, and we get the series finale tonight. At seven ten. Now, obviously, this series matters for divisional standings and whatnot. But I'm I'm more interested in what you think about this team over the next several weeks as they try to get Acuna back and Ozzy back and you know figure out how to put piece together a rotation in the absence of what they thought would be there. I mean, we've seen this team over overcome some adversity already, Brian. But can they keep doing it? You know, it's getting tougher and tougher. Uh, you know as well as I do. Starting pitching wins and defense and. Right now, the Braves start in rotations and shambles, and at some point you're gonna you're gonna overuse that bullpen as we saw last night with a lead. Matic, who's been great all season, he comes in and gives up four or five runs. You know he hasn't done that all season long, but when you overuse these guys, it's it's bound to happen. Uh, we have to find starting rotation when you lose Soroka, and Fulton average returns not. Throwing with a lot of velocity, uh, it's it's you know it's it's hard to deal with. And you know Newcomb, another disappointment coming into this season. You lose those guys, it's hard to replace. So so what's the answer? Is there an answer? Are you are you hoping Fulty can figure himself out with the taxi squad? Do you try to make a move? Is there an obvious answer to you? Well, it's hard to make a move in a sixty-game season. Right. Alex Anthopoulos is out there looking for every crack that he can find <laughs> to try to get a starter to help this rotation out, man. So it's 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 a wait-and-see situation. But, you know, all you can do is keep trying these young guys out and hope that somebody breaks through. Max Fried is the only reliable starter that the Braves have right now. I hear you. One more, one more thought on the Braves, and I want to get your thoughts on some football. But I was talking to Chip Carey on the show a couple of days ago. And I was asking him about potential call-ups. Now, we know Nick Markakis had an exposure to COVID. He's going to be on the DL here for a couple of days. And so Christian Pache is going to get the call-up. What are we expecting from this young man? Because he's a hell of a prospect. Yeah, he came up last night. And or last night, so my apologies, play. yes. No, he, he did not play right. last night. But uh, according to Snick, I expect him to start today. This kid, is he has the ability. He has the Italian, a, a talent. I think he's, he's a, a cunha in the waiting. I want a young guy like that, and he has uh, Andrew Jones-type defensive skills in the outfield, and he's shown he has some power, and this guy can run. Uh, he has all the tools to be uh, the next great player, so it's going to be interesting how he handles his debut. All right, as we look ahead to the NFL season, you know a thing or two about suiting up in the National Football League. Are you optimistic they can pull this thing off and play a 16-game regular season? Yes, I'm optimistic, uh, but you know, owners are going to—they're going to have to. Uh, hey, no fans. You know, that's 
we we got to live in that bubble. We've seen the NBA be successful. Uh, so you got to try to keep these players as safe as possible. Uh, you know, in football, everybody's right next to each other. So if one person go down, you know, everybody could come up with COVID. So it, it's it's going to be difficult, but I, I think you can uh, with a lot of safety measures put in place. Uh, they're going to have to invent some mask that you can put over your face and, and not spread germs <laughs> so these guys can go out there and play football. But, you know, it would be really tough. It would be a tough blow to all the fans if we can't get the NFL in this year. I hear you. So so what can, can football take from baseball? Because it seemed like with the Marlins and the Cardinals there for about a week or two that things might be taking a disastrous turn. But then Rob Manfred, it seemed, put the fear of God in some people and said, figure this out or we're done. Uh, what What can football take from baseball? Well, what they can take is, is, is players being responsible. Yeah. Uh, as a team, you've you got to get everybody to buy in because we know some of the stories that we hear in the NFL and, and guys can't be selfish. They're going to have to really dedicate themselves, uh, be separated from family. Uh, I think that's the biggest mistake the, uh, that baseball made. You know, at home games, they're allowing you know, players to go back home. And if some players have kids in school uh, that's getting exposed and you're going home to that, and I'm surprised that they didn't have hotel stays both on the road and home for the players just to make sure that the game is safe. So I think they could actually improve the way they handled the situation. But uh, I expect some more cases down the line in Major League Baseball, to be honest. Brian, last thing. What is it about the University of Richmond that just keeps spitting out all these guys in sports? It's you and Joe Douglas, the GM of the Jets, and Todd McShay and Will Healy here with the Charlotte 49. I mean, I could keep on going down the list. I think very quietly, people, a lot of people don't realize the University of Richmond, you spiders have created a pipeline to professional sports. We have caught a lot of people in our web, man. But uh, <laughs> it's a great program, especially academically. Uh, you know, I love the academics about it, but you know, they have some pretty good teams, you know. But when I was there, basketball really dominated. They really, the one year they made it to the Sweet 16, upset a lot of big clubs. And I had a lot of success there in football. And uh, the program continues to grow uh, to where they moved in other divisions. So, you know, I, I love that school, uh, and I definitely support it. Hey, appreciate your time, buddy. Have a great night, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. There you go. Brian Jordan, former uh, Atlanta Braves, St. Louis Cardinal, 15 years in Major League Baseball and played some safety for the Atlanta Falcons back in the day. Now part of Braves Live, Fox Sports South. Uh, really good uh, perspective there. I, was, I wasn't I was sure how he'd feel about the unwritten rules of baseball. I'm not surprised that you know he comes from a, a, a pastime where you know that was appreciated and respect a little bit more. And again, I agree with some of those. Like the example that he gave a second ago about, you know, guys, pitchers warming up between innings and uh, the, the guy who's leading off the inning, walking up behind the plate, trying to take a look at those pitches. That stuff doesn't fly, or at least it didn't for the longest time. I get that. He said, Roger Clemens would throw at you. That, that makes sense. That does. But it was also nice to hear him say, I got Fernando Tatis's back on this one. I mean, you stop giving take signs on 3-0. These are major league hitters facing major league pitchers. Make them get you out. And especially when you have incentive-laden contracts. Smoke. Yeah, the main thing I took away from that is, like, he may not agree with it, but at the same time, he knows that the game has changed and the stuff that happened while he was playing in the 90s and early 2000s, that's just not how things are anymore. It's completely different from what it was from when I was growing up watching baseball. 
There's some unwritten rules like the one he mentioned, you know, walking behind a pitcher. He's like, you just don't do that. Plus, it's for your own safety as well. Well, it, it is partly about the safety. But, yeah, these guys don't want you getting a look at their stuff between innings. You break up a double play too hard. You know, maybe you do what Alex Rodriguez did a couple of years ago, running down with the first baseline, clapping, I got it, I got it, some Bush League stuff like that. Those kind of things will get you plunked. But swinging on a 3-0 pitch or a 3-0 count, you know, if somebody grooves a fastball, major league hitters are supposed to just watch it. Yeah, that's good for fans. That's good for the game. What are we talking about? Come on. We got plenty still to get to. Smitty's coming up in about 30 minutes. One o'clock, we'll talk to Steve Smith, senior NFL network analyst, and of course, Carolina Panthers legend. On top of the football, we'll get to his plan, his foundation's plan, to try to help literally thousands of homeless kids in Charlotte with their education this fall. We'll get him to talk about that. Lots to get to still. The Bailey Betts on the other side, and I told you earlier, I was wrong about something, and we got to talk about it. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ. It's a complete team effort. Live or online, use the radio.com app and download and listen to all your favorite FNZ shows. It's the Mac Attack. This is Sports Radio FNZ. I double it. Triple it. No, everything's about money. You know, networks don't talk about it. Government can't tax it. But sports betting is a $200 billion a year business. Let's be a lady tonight. Let's make a little money, shall we? Or at least we try. Not a great night last night. One and two, we'll take it. We're still uh, up on the week. We're still in the money for the week. Four and two so far. Through a couple of nights. We'll try to keep it rolling. And we start with a game that tips off in about, what we got here? About 53 minutes. The Nets and the Raptors, the defending champs, coming off a thumping of the Brooklyn Nets, 134-110. Well, they've got them again, game two, and the Raptors are an 11.5-point favorite. Now, that's a big number, kind of. But I still like the Raptors to cover 11.5, and I like them in part because... Jamal Crawford doesn't seem like he's going to be much of a factor in this one. Uh, reports have it he will not play tonight. As a matter of, yep, he's out officially, so will not play. And, you know, that, that he don't pack a little extra or a little less offensive punch off the bench. I don't think it's the determining factor, but it pushes me more in that direction. Plus, I just love the way the Raptors are playing right now. They're scoring in bunches. Give me the Raptors to cover 11 and a half coming up in 52 minutes against the Brooklyn Nets. Also in the NBA. Jazz and Nuggets, Utah and Denver take the over 217. Over 217, Utah and Denver, another really entertaining series. I think we get more offensive fireworks, especially on the Utah side. Donovan Mitchell go over 217. And then tonight, out west, Major League Baseball, more of the Seager series. Dodgers and Mariners. Uh, the pitching matchup, Julio Urias, he may go really, really deep into this game, and he's, he's tough anyway. But Taiwan Walker against the Dodgers lineup? Now, nah, give me the over nine in this one. Dodgers Mariners over nine. Jazz and Nuggets over 217. And then take the Raptors minus 11 and a half to cover against the Brooklyn Nets coming up at 130 in the NBA playoffs. And those are the Bailey Bets. Steve Smith Sr. coming up in 21 minutes. NFL Network analyst, Carolina Panthers legend. Texter wrote in a couple of minutes ago to say, Kyle, you should ask uh, Smitty about a 3-0 count and what he'd do. I know the answer. He'll tell you he's going to park that thing. That's, that's Smitty's answer. I can help you out there. Uh, we also have some news out of the NFL. Adam Schefter 
ESPN NFL Insider reporting just a couple of minutes ago. Sources, the NFL is now considering a league-wide policy that would enable fan sound to be heard in stadiums. Now, that's... First of all, Smoke, you brought this up, and you know you beat me to the punch. There's an obvious Atlanta Falcons joke to be made there. Uh, the Falcons appear to have been on the cutting edge, after all, pumping in crowd noise. How do you feel about that, pumping in crowd noise, allowing fan sound to be heard inside the stadiums? You know, I find it interesting because we've seen it in the bubble so far uh, in the NBA and NHL. Yes. And uh, for the most part, I think it's worked. You know, it's in a, an environment where it isn't really heard too much to the point where – it annoys you, and it's just overkill. But at the same time, the sports that we've seen it happen with uh, when it comes to basketball and hockey, those are sports that are always going on like back and forth, down and up, down and up. There's a lot of rest and stop time in football between being in the huddle to waiting for the play to happen to guys getting up after a play, the timeouts. So I'm wondering how it would work in that case if it'd be overkill because there's so much dead period in a football game. I uh, see that's the thing. There is that. I like it because I, I you shouldn't be able to, first of all, because they're gonna have to play, I guess, somewhat in empty stadiums. Now I say that understanding that, you know, not all of these stadiums will be empty. We told you yesterday yesterday the Kansas City is going to allow twenty two percent capacity in Arrowhead this fall. Which I mean if they can work it out, if it works, good for them. You know, I, I, these these they, these clubs exist to make money. They're businesses. So if they can make that work safely, good for them. You know, but but if an empty stadium is where some of these games are being played, I don't think it's the worst idea because if you're, you know, on the offensive side, if you're in a huddle, you don't you don't want your play call being overheard by the defense because you're in an empty stadium. So some of this makes sense. You know, and, and I know it's easy to look at the NBA and say, well, that seems a little bit cheesy, maybe a little bit gimmicky. But I mean, I, I haven't noticed it, not in a negative way. I mean, I know it's there. But, I mean, you've watched these playoff games too, Smoke. You haven't noticed it in a negative way, have you? Maybe a time or two, but not really. it's not really an every game thing. Like, oh, I hear that sound again. There it goes again. It's just like it feels a little authentic, you know, because it's not enough. Authentic or authentic? Authentic. Oh, okay. Authentic enough to where it's like, all right, I can hear it, but it's not really a bother for me, so it's not going to be nagging my ear for the whole two-hour game. So that's where I don't really have a problem with it. In hockey, they do it really good with the arena setup as well to where I don't really hear it that much. But football, I'm kind of concerned because, as I said, so much dead period and you're in a actual stadium where these guys are in an arena, especially with the NBA being in a pretty small arena as well. So that's where my concern is for the NFL. Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, we'll keep an eye on it. But, you know, there's an obvious Atlanta Falcons joke to make if that's the kind of thing that you're into when it comes to stadium noise. Now, I told you there was something before the break where I was uh, pretty wrong about this. And I have no problem admitting when I was wrong because, well, we all are. But, uh, sorry, Darius Geis, former LSU running back Darius Geis, I will openly admit to two years ago, going into the 2018 NFL draft, being a huge fan of Darius Geis and the way that he ran the football at LSU. And I mean, I stand by that part. I mean, the guy ran the ball incredibly well at LSU, and I loved him as a prospect coming into the NFL draft. Now, as it turned out, he tumbled a bit in the NFL draft, and we're starting to find out why. He's already been released by Ron Rivera and the Washington Football Club for serious accusations about domestic violence against his uh, his girlfriend, his living girlfriend. On top of that, though, now two former LSU students say they were raped by Darius Geis in 2016 when he was a freshman at LSU. 
The women telling USA Today that Geis assaulted them in their own apartments following nights of heavy drinking. Uh, The women said they shared their allegations with multiple people at LSU, including at least two coaches, an athletics administrator, and a nurse. The women said the school failed to investigate and didn't interview them or the potential witnesses. Uh, The NFL team released Geis, uh, I guess, almost two weeks ago. Uh, 12 days ago, actually, back on August the 7th, two hours after he was arrested on three separate domestic violence charges in Northern Virginia. Uh, neither woman apparently reported the incidents to law enforcement back during that time in 2016 when they uh, alleged the incident took place and they informed, again, allegedly the LSU administrators. But Geis was expected to be a first round pick back in 2018. It was picked by Washington in the second round with the 59th pick. He denied he was involved in a pre-draft altercation during a visit with the Philadelphia Eagles. He then tore his ACL during the 2018 preseason and didn't make his pro debut until last year. 42 carries, 245 yards, two touchdowns last season. He was used sparingly. And and again, this is an area where I can absolutely say I I whiffed and I'm really glad the Panthers didn't draft him. And I, I think that much should be obvious. You know, but that's one of those dudes with his his raw football talent coming out of LSU. I was I was impressed. I thought he was I thought he'd have a great pro career somewhere. But I, I, I was shortly after the draft when I had some more conversations about him with people, just casual conversations. Like I I really liked him coming out of LSU. You know, I wonder. I, I think he might be a really solid addition to Washington. I had some guys connected to the league say I'm hearing some pretty bad things. I'm here, and and I knew the Eagles thing at the time. But that was kind of wiped off as a uh, a misunderstanding. There were some profile pieces written about him that uh, gave you a, a greater glimpse into who he was, where he came from, and you know, in some ways, it was kind of endearing. And so I'm thinking, okay, you know, the, the guys come from rough backgrounds, or they overcome mistakes and adversity. Let's see where he goes. Makes the most of, let's call it a second chance. But when I started having those conversations with some guys connected to the NFL two years ago, about a year and a half at this point, and them saying, I'm, I'm hearing some really bad things about this kid. Well, it turns out they may have mostly been true. So it is what it is, man. I I, I hate to, and I'm not, by the way, this is not a uh, slander Darius Geist segment. It's just, it appears that all these teams that had, you know, some serious concerns about him, well, they were right. Because now on top of the 2016, or rather the, the arrest 12 days ago and the three separate domestic charges against him, well, now these 2016 incidents have come to light. And, and more than anything else, you, you wonder now what, uh, how the, the microscope is going to be on LSU to answer for some of this, especially what happened at you know Michigan State and Baylor and all over the country. You know, is this going to yank LSU into a, a national scandal? We'll see where it goes. Smoke, real quick. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, unfortunately, Darius Geis joins a long line of people who have the generational talent, but unfortunately, they have demons that they make critical mistakes, and this one's more serious than some of the ones that we've seen in recent years with some of these draft guys who fall out, like, for example... Justin Blackman, he had the talent to be one of the best wide receivers in the nation and in the National Football League, but unfortunately, he couldn't keep his head straight. And unfortunately, you know, Darius Geis, for him, he couldn't do the right things, and he's done been accused of doing a lot of bad stuff in recent weeks. Yeah, it's, it's piling up. It's not good. So we'll leave that there. And then really quickly as we step aside here, there you can always count on Lane Kiffin to give you something interesting, can't you? You can always count on Lane to at least give you something worth talking about. Well, he's done it again, and this time I, I don't know that he's wrong. As a matter of fact, I'm inclined to agree with him. Lane Kiffin, now at Ole Miss, says players whose conferences have decided to postpone fall sports should be free to transfer without penalty. 
Uh, during an appearance on the SEC Network yesterday, Kiffin said it's a quote-unquote shame that players are unable to do so. He went on to say, quote, kids are having their schools or their conferences deciding to shut down, so they can't play. And a lot of them have a lot of money on the line with the next level, or they just want to play their last year. So it's really unfortunate that the NCAA is not allowing them to transfer and be eligible immediately. We're being told that won't even go into a waiver process. So I feel really bad for those kids. It's not their fault. Why can't they come play somewhere? That doesn't make any sense to me. End quote. He's right about that. By the way, he's really right about that. Yesterday, Nick Saban uh, said spring football would not at all be appealing to pro prospects, which we've known and acknowledged already. But they're absolutely right about that. Here's Nick Saban's full comments yesterday. Because I think one of the you know the real consequences of this is you know if you're a junior or senior and you have an NFL grade, um, are you going to play in the spring, uh, or is that going to become sort of a JV season with a lot of these juniors and seniors opting out uh, and not playing their senior year, which you know is is sort of something that they'll probably miss for a long time. So, I mean. If the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 don't play a season, then this is a a moot point. But they seem, and not just intent, they are unless they get diverted or something else, they're going to play. They're going to give this thing a shot. So if there's a season that's played in these other conferences, doesn't it stand to reason, regardless actually of what these other conferences do, if you're telling a college senior, that may or may not be an NFL prospect, right? Let's the prospects themselves. Many of them are okay to step aside and just train until the NFL draft. I'm not sure that's the best thing, but that that's what they're going to do, and that's they're entitled to do that. But if you're a senior, you know who is you know on the line, or maybe you're not likely to be a big time NFL prospect, you just want to finish your senior season. How do you tell that kid that he can't transfer out of Purdue or Indiana or even Penn State or Nebraska or Ohio State or Michigan? Now I, I, I'm still wondering where this is going to go. In, in terms of the Big Ten, or at least part of the Big Ten, maybe reversing course. But how do you tell that kid, hey, we've made this decision to not play football, to shut down our operation. We know that robs you of your senior season, or this ro- might rob you of your chance to put on tape something that will make NFL teams interested or even draft you. We're going to take that from you because that's our judgment call. Right or wrong, that's our judgment call. But you're still beholden to the University of whatever to Ohio State, to Michigan State. You're still beholden to us, even though we're telling you you can't play. That's not right. Feel how you want to feel about playing college football right now. That's up to you. But it's not right to keep a kid beholden to a university when they make the decision not to play and that kid has an opportunity elsewhere. The NCAA ought to do by... They ought ought to do right by these kids. (laughs) I can't say that I count on it, but they ought to do right by these kids. I think we agree on that. More to get to. Final hour coming up and we kick it off. With the legend, Steve Smith Sr., Carolina Panthers, Hall of Honor inductee last season, NFL Network analyst. We'll talk to Smitty next here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.